Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. This morning what I want to do is I want to talk to you about a year of favor. A year of favor. This is part one of a two-part message. And we're going to be looking at a unique story that's found only in Luke's gospel. It's the only account we have of Jesus as a young man, a preteen. He's 12 years old, and we have a little insight into what was happening in his life in that moment. But it's a story that is about favor. We know that because when you look at it, it starts and it ends. It's surrounded by a statement of favor. Verse 40, and the child, that's Jesus, grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was on him. Verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. How does the Son of God increase in favor with God? That's a very interesting thing to think about. But we know that he did because Scripture says that he did, and if Jesus needed to increase in favor with God, how many know you and I need to increase in favor with God? This then is a passage on favor. I believe that as we go into 2022, that one of the most important things that could happen in our lives individually is to experience the favor of God in a greater way than we've ever experienced it before. Favor is something you want on your life. Because favor not only makes a massive difference in your own life, but favor makes a massive difference in the lives of people around you. You just think about this. If I have the favor of God on my life, that's gonna immediately affect Debbie. It's going to affect my children, my grandchildren. It's going to affect the church. It's going to affect the community. It's going to affect people I come in contact with in the community. It's going to affect places where I speak, places where I go to minister. If the favor of God is on my life in a greater way, there will be a greater impact because of my life. On the other hand, if there's an absence of favor or if the favor of God is not on my life, then all of a sudden there's going to be a deficit that's going to appear in my marriage, in my relationship with my children, in the lives of my grandchildren, in the church. Favor is not optional. Favor is essential. You read through the Bible and specifically, I mean, the the word favor is mentioned 126 times in the scripture, specifically in the English Standard Version Bible, but it says over and over again as you read through the Bible, different people, it makes this statement that there was favor on them. Noah found favor with the Lord. Abraham had favor. Joseph, he's in the prison. He's a, a slave of Potiphar but he has favor, and favor changes everything. Favor takes him from the prison to the palace. Favor will do that. It will turn your life around. Moses had favor. 
Gideon had favor and God used him to lead 300 men to defeat an army of 120,000. Favor has a multiplying effect in our life of bringing the power of God into us in a way you and I cannot begin to imagine. Favor is absolutely critical. Samuel had favor. David had favor. Nehemiah had favor. Esther, eight different times in the book of Esther, it says she had favor, she sought favor, she had favor, and it made a big difference. It saved the Jewish people. Mary, in the Christmas story, she's highly favored, she has favor. So what I wanna do is I wanna set the stage, if I could, for just essentially an understanding of favor. Before we jump into the text, what I'd like to do is I'd like to make a few observations on favor because my experience would lead me to say most people don't understand what favor is. They don't understand how favor works. And if you're gonna desire something, it helps if you know what it is you're desiring, right? So what I want to do is I want to give you, it would help if you had the James River app because then you could go to the notes section, you'd have all the notes, you'd have all the scriptures. So maybe you can go back and do that when you're studying this week. I would encourage you to go to the app, take the notes, read through them, pray through them, and ask God to set his hand upon you and to give you favor. Now let me give you just a few observations on favor. Number one, Favor is the blessing of God on our life that does three things. First of all, it increases our influence with God and with people. Do you realize you can increase your influence with God? That you can actually live the kind of life, have the favor of the Lord on your life that causes the Lord to listen to you and to involve you in the things he's doing on planet Earth. That you and I, in a very real sense, can become God's agent through which he brings change into the circumstances of life. God invites you and I to not only know him, but to have this relationship with him that allows us to do business on behalf of other people with him for their benefit. That's called prayer. But favor increases our influence with God and with people. When you have favor on you, it doesn't mean everybody's gonna like you. In fact, people may not like you, but they respect you because you have favor. Or it may mean they do like you, that they really understand how wonderful you are. I mean, when a person has favor, doors are open for them. Doors open for them with people and in circumstances that aren't open to everybody else. Second, favor results in unusual success or effectiveness. You could put it this way, things work for you that don't work for the person next to you. When there's a favor on you, there is an unusual success or effectiveness that is a part of your life. The third thing I would say is favors the blessing of God on our life that affirms the things we do by his presence upon us. 
So when somebody is walking in the favor of the Lord, when you're with them, you sense the presence of the Lord. When you're in their home, you say, God is in this place. Have you ever stepped in a home and you can tell the Lord is there, the Lord is honored in that place, his hand is upon that place? One of the interesting things when Debbie and I, uh, either when we've gone to open houses or when we were looking for a house to live in and we visited different homes, you could instantly walk into a home and you could tell if the Lord was honored there. Why? Because of this principle of favor. Let me give you a second. Favor is an expression of God's love toward us. Favor is an encouragement from God to you that God loves you. Now let me say this, God loves everybody in this room the same. You, you might feel like you don't deserve it, you may feel like, well, if you only knew what I've done, you wouldn't be saying that, but the fact of the matter is, God loves everybody in this room the same, but not everyone has the same favor. We all have differing amounts of favor. Jesus started with less favor and he increased in favor. I mean, what else does that mean? In verse 52, he increased in favor. He had less and he had more. So everybody has a common, there's a common grace where God reaches out to us in love, where God expresses favor to us, sets his hand on us to one degree or another. But then after that, the issue is, what do we do with the favor that God has given us? Which leads us to the third thing. Proper use of favor increases favor. Now this shouldn't surprise us, this is the way the kingdom works. Anything God gives us, if we steward it wisely, it increases. I mean, this is true of everything. If you steward your friendships, your relationships wisely, you'll have what? More friends. If you steward your ability, your talent wisely, what happens? It grows. If you steward your finances wisely, what happens? God multiplies. Listen, we're reading stories to you every week about people's giving. We're not making them up. We're not having to search hard to find them. These are just things that are happening, and it's an example. It's a testimony that tells you somebody stewarded their finances, and God blessed them. When you and I steward favor and we use it wisely, then we are given more. That's the spiritual principle. Whenever we steward wisely what God has given us, God gives us more of whatever it is we stewarded wisely. You steward your time wisely. God will give you more time. But the smartest thing you could do is to take time for God because when you take time for God, you multi- he multiplies time back to you. This is true in your life personally. Smartest thing you could do, you, I'm too busy to pray. No, you're not, you're too busy. You, you've got too much to do not to pray. Number four, the greater the favor, the greater the opposition. Now this is something that surprises people, but you have to think. Jesus increased in favor, and who would have had more favor than Jesus? And yet what happens at the same time as favor is increasing, there can be opposition that's increasing. And actually, some of you have concluded because you have opposition in your life that there's no favor in your life, and that's not necessarily true. In fact, the source of the opposition could very much be a result of the favor on your life as the enemy tries to oppose that favor. Are you with me? Number five, favor is often misunderstood by other people. So here's something that I found to be true. People who don't understand favor can't celebrate it in the life of another person. Wow. Yeah. Come on. 
if you're critical, if you're jealous of God's hand on somebody else, it's because you don't understand favor. If you're like, why did they get that? Why do they have that? Why does God always do this for that, this for them? Why does it always work? If that's where you're at, the reason why is because you don't understand favor. Let me say this, if you have favor on your life, you don't ever have to apologize for it. Because when you have favor, you understand where favor comes from. It's not from you, it's from God. The, the word favor, charis, could also be translated grace in the Bible. And so the context of the passage determines whether it's translated favor or grace. But we understand this, grace is getting what you and I don't deserve, right? We didn't deserve it, but God gave it. If God has given you favor, then, then just thank the Lord for his favor, but you don't have to defend it. You don't have to excuse it. In fact, when you, when you make excuses for the favor of God on your life and the blessing of the Lord, what you're saying is you're saying God made a mistake. You will, you will diminish favor on your life if you become personally insecure about the favor God has given you in your life. And you can't let what people, if people don't, if people are jealous of the favor, criticizing the favor, you just have to accept they don't understand favor or they wouldn't be doing that. Number six, favor is given to develop our relationship with God. Uh, here's, this is how God works. This is how he works. The way God draws you and I into relationship is he's good to you. I mean, what does it say? Romans chapter two and verse four. Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? You're, God uses kindness as the means of causing you to turn from going this way towards him. When God extends favor, what he's doing is he's drawing you to him. If you understand that, then you see the blessing he's giving you, and he's giving you the blessing so that you'll acknowledge him, so that you will, you will turn to him, so that you'll honor him, so that you'll use it for him, and when you do that, you get more favor. Number seven, favor is given to us so we can extend it to others. This is, this is really the end all be all for favor. You cannot give what you do not have. I wanna give my kids favor. I wanna give my kids God's favor. I wanna give my grandkids God's favor. I want you to have God's favor. I want people who are near me, I want the blessing of God on my life to spill over onto their life. I want them, like if, like if it's rain, that it would just rain on them like it's raining on me. But in order for that to happen, I have to be walking in God's favor and I have to understand that it's my responsibility to release the favor he's given me into the lives of other people. Jesus said this to the disciples as he sends them out to minister in Matthew chapter 10 and verse eight, he says, freely you've received, freely give. And see, here's the way it works. We can literally release the favor of God into the lives of those around us so that the breakthroughs that we've experienced and the courageous choices that we've made and the battles we've fought create a momentum in the lives of those around us. 
I believe that starts with family. Listen, I'll be honest with you. I want my kids to stand on my shoulders, whether they were in the ministry or not. Stand on my shoulders, go farther, go faster, do more for the Lord than I ever thought of doing. I want my favor, the favor God has given me, to move them forward into the purposes of God. I pray it, I believe it, I, I, I try to bless them with the favor that I've gotten. I want you to have the favor. Listen, why do I tell you about favor because I want you to have the favor God wants you to have. But it's a favor many people don't have. I'm not saying that unkindly. I'm saying there are some of you and you, you know varying, in this room, people know varying degrees of God's favor and God's work in their life. So let's look at, look at Luke chapter two and we're gonna start with verse 40. This is a this is a passage on favor, and here's what we're gonna do. This week, we're gonna learn a principle from the life of Mary and Joseph. Next week, we're gonna learn some principles from the life of Jesus. He increased with favor. This passage is about favor. This passage says a lot about favor, and so here's the principle. Principle number one, if you wanna increase with favor. Stay close to Jesus. If you wanna increase in favor, you have to stay close to Jesus. Let's read it. And the child grew, grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. So there are three Jewish feasts where all Jewish males are required to be there. If they're married, they're required to have their family. If, if they're, obviously, if, if you have small children and you live a distance away, there are things that the Lord understood, but as much as they were able, they needed to be there. Joseph, being a godly and a righteous man, as we saw last time, he makes the journey from Nazareth to Jerusalem, probably a four-day journey, about 65 miles, but it's circuitous. And so traveling with a group, they go up to the Passover, one of the three Jewish feasts everybody's required to attend. And when he, that's Jesus, was 12 years old, he went up according to custom. So Jesus is now 12, and today if you were to go to the Holy Land and you'd go to the Wailing Wall, uh, which is the, basically the foundation of Herod's temple from the time of Jesus, you would see there every day they've got bar mitzvahs going on. What is, what's a bar mitzvah? Bar son of mitzvah law. It's the son of the law. So when both boys and girls now, when they reach age 12, they go to the Temple Mount, they wrap the phylacteries, they have little scripture boxes with leather straps, taking literally from, from Deuteronomy, uh, you know, chapter six, they wrap them on their arm, they read the Torah, it's very hard to learn to read because there are no vowels, so they're just reading consonants, they're reading in Hebrew, they learn to read it perfectly, and they go there on the temple mount, they recite the Torah, they read the Torah, families there, they're cheering, they're blowing the shofar. It's, it's really a very joyful scene. At Jesus' time, they don't have bar mitzvah yet. That doesn't happen until the second century. But the principle of at age 12 becoming a man, becoming a son of the law, becoming a part now of the synagogue at age 12 is part of this. So it's the Passover, they're going up, he is 12. They went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents 
did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But when they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. So here's what's happening here. So they're, they're leaving town now. And as they're leaving town, they're traveling in a caravan of relatives, people from Nazareth. And Jesus is not with the men. He's not with Joseph. So Joseph thinks, well, he's 12 years old, so he still likes hanging out with the kids and they're playing, so he's back with the women with the kids. And Mary, she doesn't see him, and she says, well, you know, he's 12 now, he's, he's become a son of the law, and he's hanging out with the men. He's trying to be a man, and so he doesn't want to be around the little kids because now he's all grown up. So Mary doesn't see him, Joseph doesn't see him, and now they get to evening as they're camping on their way back and Mary says to Joseph, hey, where's Jesus? And Joseph says, well, I thought he was with you and the kids. And Mary says, no, he wasn't with me and the kids. I thought he was with you and the, and the men. And Joseph says, I haven't seen him all day long. Now, most parents have had that moment of fright where you've lost your child. You know, where you forgot your child. I remember when we were pastoring in western Kansas and, and um, Debbie and I got home and our kids were, you know, from David. David was 30 months old when Savannah was born, so we had three kids within 30 months. And, and so uh, it was usually a lot of bedlam in our house. And so we get home from church and I look at Debbie and I say, where's Brandon? She says, well, I thought you had Brandon. And, she, and I said, well, no, I thought you had Brandon. And so Brandon's nowhere to be found. So we race back over to the church, and this little guy right here is just, he's just right there he is. Isn't he cute? You just want to pinch those little sugar jaws. He's just standing by the glass doors of the church. He's not crying. He's not upset. He's very laid back. He's a stop and smell the roses kind of guy. He's just sitting there looking out the, the door of the church <laughs> at an empty parking lot, and it's dark. So, <laughs> so we've all had those experiences, right, where you left somebody behind. You didn't mean to, but you did. That's Mary and Joseph. Let's pick it up where we were. They searched for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. So, so now think of this. So now they're, I mean, they've gone a day's journey. So how long is it gonna take him to get back to Jerusalem? A day. So now he's been gone two days. They get to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, it's Passover time. Historians tell us there could be 60 to 80,000 people in the city. So now all of a sudden, they're thinking, okay, where does a 12-year-old kid go? Now he's been without us for two days. We've got to find him. So now they're going to all the relatives. You know, they're going to all the places they were, and then they're thinking, oh, he's not there. Maybe he went out to relatives in Bethlehem, so they make a four-mile journey out there. He's not there. Then they think, well, maybe, you know, maybe he's in the markets. That'd be a fun place for a kid to hang out. So they're running up and down the markets. And if you've been in Jerusalem and you've been to the old Arab market, you know, I mean, it's just, it's chaos in there and they can't find him. After three days. So we could take it a day out, a day back, they find him on the third day, or some scholars say, no, 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 a day out, a day back, three days, it's five days before they find Jesus. They found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. 
And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? (laughs) Kind of a typical teenage answer. (laughs) Did you not know I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand the saying he spoke. And he went down with them to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and men. What I want to do is just quickly, I want to give you four principles on losing Jesus. Because if you and I are going to know the favor of God, it starts with being close to Jesus. What can happen really easily to people is there can be distance that begins to develop between them and Jesus. And when that happens, then there is a diminishing of favor on your life. The most important thing that can happen, if we're going to reduce the whole favor talk to one thing, get as close to Jesus as you possibly can and don't ever lose sight of him. Let me give you four principles here. Number one, the separation from Jesus started when they assumed Jesus was doing what he always did. It started when they assumed he was doing what he always did. Verse 43, when the feast was ended, they were returning. The boys stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group. The longer we walk with Christ, the more easily we can fall into the trap of thinking we have God all figured out that we know what he's gonna do, that we know how he's gonna work, that we know what's gonna happen in a service or what's gonna happen in our own life. People will say at times, well, God works this way in my life or God speaks to me this way. And it's very wonderful when you can recount the ways God speaks to you. But let me just say this, God is a God who does new things all the time. And what he did yesterday is not necessarily what he's gonna do tomorrow. God loves to do new things. Nobody knew Jesus better than Mary and Joseph, but they made the mistake of thinking whatever they did, he would do. Oh, I'm a Christian, so Jesus is going to be right with me. He's just with me. He just goes with me. He's with me all the time. And what happens is sometimes people get the idea they don't need to stop and talk to Jesus before they start their day. If you're brave enough to start your day without talking to Jesus, then you could find yourself at the end of day uh, not knowing where he's at. Now, I'm not talking about a legalistic thing. I'm just talking about a practical aspect of staying close to Jesus is at the start of the day saying to him, Jesus, where is it that you're going because that's where I want to go? Jesus, where is it you're leading because that's where I want to be? Jesus, I want to start the day with you because I want to finish the day with you because I never want to get separated from you. 
How much better if Mary and Joseph would have sought Jesus out rather than assuming, rather than supposing, rather than thinking, well, I know how Jesus works, and I know how much better if they'd have started the day and said, hey, Jesus, are you ready to go back to Nazareth? And he would have said, no, I'm not. But they didn't talk to him. All this speaks of the danger of familiarity in our walk with God. We can become too familiar with God, where we think we know what he's going to do, where we think we know his thoughts, where we begin to think, heaven forbid, that our thoughts are his thoughts. And once that happens, a separation begins to set in. Let me just say this, in this year, God's gonna do some new things. We saw him do some new things last year. How many know that? You you saw a marked change in the church. That is not stopping. That is not the end. We are at the beginning of God moving in some powerful ways, and I can assure you, you're gonna see him do things you have not seen him do before. You're gonna hear him say things you've not heard him say before, but if you're not listening and you're not spending time with him and you think you've got him figured out, you're going to find yourself getting farther and farther from him. Number two, they were not aware of Jesus' absence until they stopped to spend time with him. Look at it in verse 45. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. They thought Jesus was with them, but he wasn't. You know, it's, it's It's a dangerous thing when we take for granted the presence of God on our life. I hope you desire the presence of the Lord on your your life. I hope you desire it on your home. I hope you desire it on your marriage. I hope you desire it on your family, on your extended family. I hope you desire it on the place where you work. If God has called you to work where you're working, then the place where you're working is holy. Even if everything about that place seems unholy, you're bringing the presence of the Lord into that place. What can happen though is if we aren't constantly evaluating our proximity to Jesus, we can think he's with us and he's not. Think of this, in Judges, we read the story of Samson. Delilah, she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he woke from his sleep and said, I'll go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know the Lord had left him. He didn't know. You know, you don't ever want to be in that place. When it comes to God's presence, there are three possibilities. The first one is this, it's the best of all cases. God can be present and we know it. Uh, Let me suggest to you that one of the things that I think is very helpful about attending church, online, in person, being in church is, it sensitizes your heart to the presence of the Lord in a way that your own personal devotions will not. I'm not saying they don't, they have a place to play, but then there's something about the corporate body of believers. Listen, I'm just gonna tell you, at the end of the day, Sunday, I can sense the presence of the Lord more clearly than I can 
on other days. There's something about having been with you in the presence of the Lord. God is in this place, God is working, and it touches our heart. On Wednesday night, you get up Thursday morning, you can sense the, pre- in my own devotions, I can sense the presence of the Lord in a, in a different and a more powerful way. I wanna ask you this question. Can you sense the presence of the Lord in your life? Do you know the hand of the Lord is on your life because you sense him right now? That's a a really, it's not a trick question. It's a very important question because if you can't, there's distance that's setting in. Here's the second thing. When it comes to God's presence, God can be present and you not know it. So like that's like Joseph, remember in Genesis 28, he, he lays down, puts his head on a rock, and, and that night he has a dream and he sees the angels of God ascending and descending in a stairway up to heaven, and he wakes up and he says, he says, you know, surely this is the house of God, and I didn't know it. I did not know he was here, but this is Bethel, the house of God. The third option is God can be absent and we don't know it, and this is the worst of all. to have God be gone, to to be in a place where his hand is no longer on your life, but you don't have any idea that he's not there. This, This is Mary and Joseph in some respects. Verse 45, look at it. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. They had to go back to where they lost him. For them, it's a geographical move. For us, it's a time in our life when the Lord's presence was very real to us. When, when was that for you? What was it that brought that about? What was going on in your life? What were you doing to facilitate the presence of the Lord in your life? For some, you're, you're at a season of dryness in your life and, and probably exacerbated somewhat by the busyness of the holiday season, but my concern is this. For some, you are dry in your life and you've come to accept it as okay. If, if the presence of the Lord is not fresh to you, real to you, and you don't sense him, that should, that should speak to you of alarm bells ringing like crazy. Let me, let me share another concern. Because the, the Bible says the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things who can know it. At times you and I can't even know our own heart. But for some of you, you've gotten enough distance from Jesus. You're not, as, you're not walking as close to him as you were for whatever reason or any number of reasons, but you've allowed this distance to set in, and what happens is you're not sensitive to the Lord, and so the way it plays out is you can't tell the difference between your ability and the anointing. Wow. Wow. That, that's a huge issue for a preacher. When a person's ability carries them to places that look like the anointing, act like the anointing, but aren't the anointing because they haven't spent any time with Jesus. But it can, it can function in everybody's life. I mean, you get yourself separated and pretty soon you're not seeing things clearly because you can't sense whether he's there or not. How, how can you tell if he's absent? Look at it, verse 46. 
The next day they found him in the temple seated among the teachers listening to them and asking questions. The teachers were all quite taken with him, impressed with the sharpness of his answers. But his parents were not impressed. You know how you can tell when you've gotten far away from Jesus? You're no longer impressed by him. Are you kidding me? The religious leaders, the teachers of the day, the greatest teachers of Israel are sitting in that room and a 12-year-old is stunning them with his grasp of scripture. You say, well, he's God. No, he set aside the prerogatives of deity. Yes, he's God, but this is, this is what Mary, Joseph, and Jesus himself, he's, he's learned the word, he's embraced the word, he's thought about the word, he's become a part of him, and, it, and, and now it's pouring out of him. And people who don't know him are very impressed. People who do know him aren't impressed at all. If you're no longer thrilled by Jesus, if he's not a big deal to you, if what he does doesn't move you, if he's not compelling, if he's not wonderful, it's because you've lost sight of him, you become separated from him. Second, you're irritable. But his parents were not impressed. They were upset and hurt. They were irritable. I mean, Mary, she is beside herself in that moment. You say, yeah, cut her, cut her some slack. Listen, we all understand the human aspect of that, but it's teaching us a spiritual reality. She's not operating in the peace of the Lord. Jesus is not ruffled one bit, and Jesus does not say, oh, I'm so sorry. I see what I've done to you. Please forgive me. He doesn't even go there, and he's perfect, which tells you he didn't need to go there. There were some things she should have understood, she didn't understood, and Jesus just simply in a kind way reminds her, Mom, you've lost your grip on reality. You're not seeing things right here. Listen, if you're irritable, then the peace of God is not on you, and if the peace of God is not on you, the presence of God is not on you. Because where God's presence is, there is peace. And we have to, we have to shoot that thing straight. And, and, and we can all have bad days and we can all have bad moments. But when that happens, we have to go back and immediately think, you know what, something's happened here. I've gotten away from Jesus somewhere because I left my peace back somewhere else. I gotta go find it. Number three, you're filled with anxiety. Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you, she says. And number four, you're self-centered in your thinking. But his parents were not impressed. They were upset and hurt. His mother said, young man, why have you done this to us? Who's she thinking about? Herself. You say, but I get it. Your father and I have been half out of our minds looking for you. Listen, at whatever point you lose your peace, you're diminishing his presence in your life. 
The Bible says, Isaiah 26 and verse three, that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is what? Stayed on thee. In Philippians chapter four and verse five, the Lord is near. This is what makes everything in these two verses a reality. God is right there, the Lord is near. So don't be anxious, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends, which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Well, number three, let me give you a third thing. They had to search for Jesus for three days, or it could have been five days, depending on how you counted. After three days, we know this, they're in, they're in Jerusalem three days, they found him in the temple. Now here's what I wanna, when I read that, here's the thing I wanna ask. Why didn't you go to the temple in the first place? I mean, have you ever thought about this? I mean, uh, it's almost like a hello moment. Hello, Mary and Joseph, he's the son of God. You know that. You both have had angelic visitations. You both saw the glory of God. You both have, you, you know who he is. You know he's not a normal child. You know he's the son of God. The angel told both of you that. So if he's the son of God, where would you start if you were going to look for him? You would start where? You would start at God's house. You would start at the temple. But all that points to the reality of the fact when a person is spiritually distant from God, spiritually obvious things become harder to see. Wow. Look at it, verse 40. Why did, why did you need to search, he asked. Can you imagine that? Young man, do you know what I, what have you been, why were you even looking? Didn't you know? I mean, Mary and Joseph, did you not understand who I am? Don't you remember the circumstances of my birth? Don't you remember the wise men? Don't you remember the star? Don't you remember the shepherds? Don't you remember the angelic announcements? Don't you remember, don't you know? I'm the son of God and I had to be in my father's house. If you're gonna look anywhere, look there. You know, when a person is far from God, the obvious is no longer obvious. Simple things like God answers prayer. Some of you, the distance between you and Jesus is evidenced by the fact that you've forgotten God answers prayer. Y'all worked up about a lot of things, but God answers prayer. You don't know what you're gonna, but God answers prayer. I mean, it's those kind of things. It's the simple things. You're, you're sick, God heals. God's word is true. Jesus is our deliverer. God blesses. And if you're seeking God's presence, where should they have gone? They should have gone to God's house. Let me, let me point out something else as well, and I, I think this is interesting. It took one day to lose Jesus. It took three days to find him. It's way easier to lose the presence of the Lord on your life than it is to get it. But if we want it, we can get it. We just have to seek him and any amount of time necessary in that pursuit is time well spent. I just wanna to say to you, it took him three days. 
If you're a person, you know the Lord, you say, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm a, I, I'm a Christian, but I've really, I've, this, is, this is really nailing me, you've, you've got me cornered. What do I need to do? I tell you to take three days and seek Jesus. I tell you to fast for three days. You say, every meal? Listen, you figure it out. I've got confidence in you. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. He just wants you to seek him with all of your heart. Whatever it takes to be in his presence, do it. Number four, and then we'll close. They had to accept that Jesus was doing something new. Verse 46, the next day they found him in the temple, seated among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. The teachers were all quite taken with him, impressed with the sharpness of his answers. But his parents were not impressed. They were upset and hurt. His mother said, young man, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been half out of our minds looking for you. And he said, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I had to be here dealing with the things of my father? But they had no idea what he was talking about. You know, here's what happens is when you're walking with Jesus, he's going to do new things. And there are going to be things he's going to do you don't understand. There are going to be things he's going to do that you can't appreciate for what's happening. You're not really, if there's, in some sense, there's a mystery and other things. You're going, to watch, you're going to watch Jesus do things that you might not ever have been for. Some of you have had that experience. You've come to James River and you're like going to a church you never thought you'd go to, right? You know, you're like... Those people, they swing from the chandeliers, you know, and here you are, you're in a place where you're seeing things you don't understand. We try to explain them to you, but even then, sometimes you don't understand them, you're just like, you're just thinking about them in your heart. And then there's some things you say, well, you know, that's never gonna happen, or I don't think I'd ever be in on that. And here's the approach I've taken on those kind of things. I want what's in the Word, but I know that there are some things that are not talked about in the Word, but that doesn't mean God is not doing them or for them. And in my my development in the Lord, there are some things that at one time I would have viewed with more skepticism, but today I'm like, you know what, I'm in. And that's a journey that everybody in this room will take this year, I can promise you. You already started, so nobody has to be afraid. I'm not, I'm not, I don't wanna upset anybody. Um, You have no reason to be upset, but I'm just simply saying there are times God does things that only our heart can understand and our mind can't really figure out. And I've just learned, I reserve the right to grow smarter. That's what I tell the staff. Every now and then they, they're like, well, I didn't think you really, th- you really would think that. Well, I've, I've reserved the right to grow smarter. I reserve the right for God to expand my heart and to show me things in his word I hadn't seen before and to understand things I hadn't understood before. And all I'm saying is when you're in God's presence and you're experiencing God's favor, there are some things you won't understand. And that's where you have to be careful not to limit 
your understanding of God or your appreciation of what he's doing by what you can explain. She couldn't understand this. They had no idea what he was talking about, but look at it in verse 51. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. That's the right response. She didn't understand him up here, but she said, I'm gonna treasure him right here. I'm not gonna reject them. I'm not gonna throw it out. I'm not gonna say, well, I'm never gonna think about that again. Mary's putting these things in her heart and saying, listen, something is happening here. At some point, she senses, whoa, God is doing something and I don't understand it, but I'm not gonna write it off. I'm gonna hold it in my heart till it makes sense to me in my head. That's how a lot of things happen in our, in our walk with the Lord. We, we have encounters with him that we don't, there's times God says to us things that we don't understand only later to find out how that was and what that was, but we have to be careful to remain open to the fact he's doing a new thing. And I'm just simply saying in 2022, God's gonna do a new thing in your life. There are gonna be things you've never experienced before, things you've never seen before, things that you've never understood before, and you wanna, you wanna say, Lord, I, I'm just gonna treasure what I can't understand in my heart. I'm not gonna write it off, I'm not gonna reject it. I'm just gonna let it sit in my heart and let you work on it, and then you'll give me understanding at the proper moment. So this is a passage on favor. It begins with favor, it ends with favor. I'm gonna give you one more verse, Luke 4, 18. The Spirit of the Lord, this is Jesus in the synagogue is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I like the way the message puts it. This is God's year to act. And when I read that, I thought of James River. I thought of what God wants to do. This is his year to act, his year to act in your life, his year to show you the, the miracle working power of God, his year to draw you close to him, his year to show you things you've never seen before. This is God's year year to act. It's the year of the Lord's favor. Amen.